Okay, so we're standing outside Stretford Public Hall now. Hopefully you can hear me over the busy A56, which is the main thoroughfare from the M60 down to Old Trafford, right into the centre of town. It does literally divide our town in half and acts as the crossroads of what is essentially our town centre. This is the story of how a group of people banded together to buy a derelict public hall and along the way rediscovered the community it was built to serve 150 years ago. When we decided to take on the hall, one of our big things was this is a centrepiece of our town and we didn't want it to go and remain empty or be a dead space for the community because we've already got so much of that. I'll take you inside and show you what's here. So coming through our lovely big castle doors, as I call them, and get through to the beautiful foyer. Um, this was the space that I first saw for the first time I went into the hall about four years ago and just fell in love with it. It's got classic Manchester tiling, beautiful archways, and it's just... We were walking past and the building, we were like, should we just, should we just go in and see if they'll let us like, look in? For everybody else, it was a closed building. So we, we kind of knocked on and there was um, the caretaker, John was there. The foyer is exactly how it was when we first saw it, so we were like bowled over. That was us then hooked and there was no way that we couldn't do something about it. From a few conversations on street corners after school drop-offs, we decided to have a first meeting, I suppose, which happened in a pub. And people went away from that really positive and wondered what they were going to put on the cafe menu and, uh, you know, <laughs> it sort of snowballed from there, really. Anushka Dayton, Lisa Heanley and Dan Williamson are founding members of the Friends of Stretford Hall, an organisation set up in 2015 to save a public hall in Manchester, a much-loved building that had served the community since 1878 when it opened as a library. In this episode, you can hear how these inspired and inspirational locals brought the right people together to raise the money to save the hall by launching a community share offer. I'm Neil Roberts. I've been volunteering at and lending support to community businesses over the last eight years. On the Community Business Fix, I get to shine a light on the projects in which communities are coming together to transform the places they live. The Community Business Fix is a monthly podcast brought to you by Power to Change, the independent trust that supports community businesses in England. You can get involved on Twitter, at the CB Fix, and on Facebook. Just search for Power to Change. Stretford Public Hall was one of the many gifts made to the people of Manchester by the man they called the Cotton King, John Rylands. He was Manchester's first millionaire, but spent much of his fortune on good causes. He lived in Longford Park in Stretford, and so his house and, and uh, dwellings were there. And he commissioned this for the public of Stretford. So the building was finished in 1878, and essentially it was a, a, a library. So it was one of the first libraries. It had public space meetings. Eventually it grew into being more of a civic theatre. So there were balls, there were discos, there were gigs was very much what we have today, a place where people could come, meet, socialise. Nearly a century on from its opening, the hall was still playing an important part in the lives of those who lived in Stretford. Well, we were married at St Matthew's Church, which is just down the road, on the 28th of March, 1964. 
and uh, we had our wedding reception in this building. Our daughter was born several, you know, when she was about eight years old, she appeared on the stage in the hall. So I've got a lot of fond memories of the building. I can go back to the um, early 60s when they used to have Christmas parties uh, for GEC here. And I've known it a long time, the hall, in and out a lot of times. Like It was a really important part of Stratford. It was like the, the centre of Stratford. Then as we can move through the 1950s and 60s, that civic theatre kind of grew. They had pageants, they had Stratford Children's Theatre, they had all sorts of stuff going on. So it was a really, really well-known building. Andy Simkin is one of those who invested money in the hall. He also invests his time by working on the door, welcoming those who take part in choir practice, pilates, art classes and many other community activities. But when his family moved to Stratford, he found it to be a very different place. The early period of us living locally, there was sort of the pockets of isolation really, with small communities doing their own thing, but nothing that I would identify particularly as a sort of cohesive entity that you could describe as Stretford as a whole. That's changed in the last few years for various reasons but a huge catalyst to that change, in my opinion, has been the public hall. The rebirth of the hall could hardly have been envisaged by those who saw it in the dark years between the late 1970s and 1997. The building had lost its original role in 1940, when the new Stretford Library opened but it was granted a new lease of life 20 years later when it reopened as a civic theatre. Those who lived in the area in the 1960s and 70s remember it too as both a popular music venue and the place they learned to swim. The new Stretford Leisure Centre put paid to the Cypress Street bath swing, which was demolished and the rest of the building fell into disrepair despite being granted Grade 2 listed status. Trafford Council eventually took it over refurbished it and used it as a council offices until 2014 when it became surplus to their requirements and they moved out. It was soon after that that Lisa Heanley spotted a post on a Facebook group named after the postcode of the area she lived in, M32. A woman called Bernice Garlick, she put a post out and she spoke about um, Hepton Bridge. They were going through an asset transfer and she said, I see what's happening here. Their council have helped fund the changeover from a council building to a changeover to the community ownership. Is anyone brave enough to do this? So she knew about what was going on with the public hall at the time. It was a bit of like a, come on, if you want to come and get it kind of thing. So who's brave enough to do it? Traffic council didn't really know what they wanted to do with the building. At that point, we knew nothing about it. And it was on the way out for Christmas drinks at the market in town that myself and Lisa just decided we would poke our heads around the door and have a little nosy, because we're a bit nosy. We asked the security guard if we could just look in at the foyer, and we couldn't quite believe how beautiful it was. Never having seen it before, it was just summed up as sort of a Manchester classic area. I don't know, just beautiful tiles and... And we fell in love. We just looked at each other and went, no, they're not going to sell this. We were just at a time in our lives where we were having a bit of a career change. So we were going to 
well-being classes there we were having yoga we were having meditation and and then we were all very zen and <laughs> very positive Lisa and Anushka might have been very zen and positive but as the other friends founder Dan Williamson cheerfully admits none of them had any expertise or indeed experience in what they were planning to take on I suppose in a way it was good that we were slightly naive and hadn't done anything like this before because that meant that we couldn't see the details that maybe people who have been involved in building projects or heritage projects were sort of burdened with, I suppose. And what we could see was the real sort of opportunities that it presented to the community and um, the real sort of strength of feeling around this is sort of an opportunity for the community to take control of a significant asset that would greatly benefit the future of the community and give the community a real sort of stake in the area and a real say in any sort of future generation, which was kind of quite clear from the start and has grown since then. However naive the founding trio were, they knew that they needed to involve more people to turn their dream into reality, and they began to do their homework. From that early Facebook post, they were aware of something called a community asset transfer, a method by which a council can hand over an asset to a community group on a long-term lease or freehold, with certain conditions attached. Was it something they could exploit? Dan Williamson. We got a bit of interest from sort of uh, third sector voluntary support. People came and gave a talk who kind of understood the process of community asset transfer, showed us case studies of that this is possible. The local community was becoming interested. Other groups were coming on board. If they could make that asset transfer work, then they could raise the money through a community share offer to begin to refurbish the hall and start to make it pay. Once revenue began to come in, then more refurbishments could take place. But not everybody was optimistic. Here's Andy Simkin again, taking a breather from his shift to Stretford Hall Dorman. Initially, feeling that perhaps it was a long shot and was unlikely to happen. And I think that was based on the sort of experience of not having a concept of Stretford as, as an entity where there was sufficient cohesion for such a broad undertaking to be sort of realised and come to fruition. But that soon changed that perception when I realised that there was an impetus through conversations on the street, through social media. And when I saw some of the people emerging who were clearly determined to make it work, there was a sort of a, a young dynamism to some of those emerging people that changed my view. So I became uh, not a cynic, but somebody thinking it might be a difficulty uh, into, some, to, into something that I thought would be positive. Now I'm going to have to uh, do my job now while we have a moment to break in the interview. Okay. Hello. Hey, are you here for the class? To be in the running for a community asset transfer, friends of Stretford Public Hall had to put together a bid. This was no mean feat, with none of the founders having prior experience. They spent months writing, learning and talking to different advisers. But there was a point when it became too much. The week before the bid was due in, they ran out of money. They needed five grand and fast. Surely the dream was over and there was to be no Hollywood ending. But wait, here's Anushka Dayton. It was the week before Christmas and we just asked on Facebook, we explained exactly what we were doing. We needed this £5,000 and, and could anyone help us? Within a week, we raised it. 
you know, Stretford is not a rich area. It's it's not got those sort of people that can just chuck it in. But people arranged um, a night at the local pub. People literally going around picking, you know, money off everyone. And we managed to raise raise the money that just got that essential work done just in time for the bid. Then two days before the bid came in, we got our SIB funding, which meant we, we could breathe a massive sigh of relief. Put the bid in on the 23rd or 22nd of December. Dan and I had about five kids with us and we got it in with half an hour spare. That was absolute chaos as we were trying to get stuff printed out and get it all, all bundled up together. Got it in, handed it into the council and just breathed a sigh of relief. Took the kids all to Pizza Hut to kind of have a quick celebration for the fact we'd been ignoring them for the last month. <laughs> and uh, then we just had to wait. So the waiting began. It was by no means a done deal. The founders had invested months of their time, won over the local community, but there was still a strong chance that a property developer or pub chain could swoop in and trump their bid. On the night the Council Executive Committee met, Anushka was invited to go along and wait outside the room for the verdict. I turned up with one of my very muddy little rugby boys who had just, just finished his game of rugby and I took him up there. And he could not contain himself with excitement. So I was sitting there all primly and properly in this very ornate room where he jumped up and down, <laughs> spreading mud all over the carpet. The council meeting came out and our local councillor had been listening in and just said, you've done it. And then we had two of the exec committee members came and confirmed it and gave us a handshake. And that feeling, I think, was just unbelievable. All that hard work, all that, that worry of pulling all those people and getting all those people to do those hours of work and potentially it would all be for nothing came to something and it really felt like the Stretford had pulled itself together and done something amazing. So what were the nuts and bolts of the deal? The deal was that they would give us the freehold of the building and the car park for £10. They put some caveats on it. One was that if we ever sold it, that 95% of that money would go back to the council, which seems absolutely right. And the second thing, we could only ever sell it to another community group with similar aims and objectives as ours. And that was just the biggest win. We, that's what we wanted. It was safe. It was never, ever going to be able to go anywhere else. And about three weeks later, they just gave us the keys. Came and literally, in our hands, gave us the keys and nothing else. They didn't show us how the boiler worked. They didn't show us where the stopcock for the water, nothing. We had not a clue what we would let ourselves in for. Practical issues aside, Shelley Quinton Hume was a member of the team that had experience in large-scale community projects and she knew all too well the scale of what they were taking on. There's no getting away from it. It's an absolutely huge project. It was not something that could be taken on lightly. It's a beautiful building with heritage status that you can't just come in and carve up. 
I'm a project manager, that's what I do for a job. So I had some idea of how huge it would be and how much money it would take and time and effort. But even I didn't realize quite how much. I mean, it is a huge, huge project. Whatever challenges lay ahead for the friends, the community asset transfer had got them to this stage. But what next? Here's Dan and Anushka on why they chose a community share offer as a way to raise funding. As most people aware, there's much less capital grant funding available. You know, we've applied for some, been successful, but it was really hard to find any large capital grant schemes. If we wanted to look at the heritage of the building, and we are looking at long-term heritage grants, but they take a long time to get hold of, and we needed money far more quickly. And then we started looking at the possibility of community shares. Power to Change funded a period of development that allowed us to sort of investigate what that offer might be, to work on a business plan and a marketing plan for launching the share offer. That was really important. It allowed us more time to work with Cooperatives UK, who obviously knew more about this. We'd chosen to go down the co-ops route, partly because we love the ethos of a co-op and all that entails, but also it allows for this idea of community shares. And community shares are different than usual donations. People are investing in the building. They invest their money with the potential of getting that money back, sometimes with a return, but their main reason for investing their money is because they believe that the project is good for their local community or environment. We found um, a really important board member who's Simon Borkin. I don't know if you've spoken to him already, but I mean, he sort of came along on board on that and sort of um, from Cooperative UK perspective to sort of assist us with that. I'd seen the building because I live nearby, but I didn't know really what was going on. And so Anushka came and sort of said, look, this is our plan. We hear you know a bit about this. How would you feel about helping us? That's Simon Borkin. He works at the Community Shares Unit, a joint initiative between Locality and Cooperatives UK that supports community share offers and promotes good practice. Anushka was really keen to use his expertise, and he didn't take much convincing. For me, it was really a fantastic opportunity because I'd sort of been working for an office here in Manchester, talking to people, seeing people, but I never really got stuck in, and I thought it would be a really good litmus test if we're trying to help other groups and promote the model, then actually it'd be great to have a go at sort of doing it firsthand. Earlier, we heard founder Dan Williamson seeing positives in their naivety. What Simon Borkin brought to the table was much-needed experience. He knew exactly what needed to be worked on, and the first thing was to promote an understanding of what a community share offer actually entails. Not an easy task. It'd be great when everyone understands a co-op, but... Until that day, people have to get their head around it. Like, okay, so it's democracy and membership and wait, shares don't work like normal shares because I'm... So you've got to get your head around all that. And then people have got to then understand the key components of a business. And a lot of people coming to community shares, they, that might not have been their natural point because they're there to provide activities to the community. They haven't done that wrapped up within a business. So then they've got to understand about balance sheets and profit and loss accounts and then you've got this thing called a share offer that no one is maybe naturally ever involved in. So terms and conditions of shares. And, and then finally, you know, if you're going to raise investment, you know, you might go to a bank, you're going to have a conversation with one person. Suddenly you've got to have a conversation with 
2,000 people. And you've got to do a campaign and think about social media and press. And so I think it's complicated because all those four things have to coexist at the same time. Quite a lot of people will have expertise in one or two, but you know, to get a group of people that feel comfortable and confident around all four is quite difficult. By the time Simon got involved, Friends of Stretford Public Hall had already done a lot of the work to convert to a charitable community benefit society, one of the few legal structures that allow you to run a community share offer. You know, you're recognised as a charity, so you, you know, you're recognised for public benefit, but you're member-owned, it's democratic, and also you've got this ability to access equity through community shares, which a, a charity under another model wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have the ability to. They had six months to plan and create a share offer that would allow local people who purchase a community share to become members of the business. This would give each member one vote on important decisions, no matter how many shares they have. Simon Borking got involved in the practicalities of planning that campaign. We'd had to do quite a lot of business planning and business modelling in order to demonstrate to the council that we were a viable organisation that could take it on. So we'd done quite a lot of that, but then we had to tighten that because essentially if we were going to go and ask the public to invest in us. We, we wanted to be really confident that our business plan was viable. So we did quite a lot of work on the business plan. We then had to write a share offer document and design that. And we went through the community shares standard mark, which was the sort of quality process, which is quite intensive actually, but out of that came a really good product. Anyone involved in a community share offer will tell you one of the most important jobs is engaging with the community and using local expertise. We reached out to so many people to help us. So we got a designer in who did all our design, all our brand. We found people that sort of worked in press who came and did some press releases for us. At our launch event, we managed to collar in a local kind of historian and journalist called Jonathan Schofield, who did our launch event, which was really good, got us a bit of profile. I think, you know, one of the key things is being open to saying, is there people around to help with this and that? We're now entering into the ballroom, and this is the biggest space in the hall. It's got a lovely wooden floor. The major renovation funded by the share offer is the ballroom. Green arches all the way across and large windows looking out across Stretford. The jewel in the crown of the hall, both in architectural terms and in its importance to the community. This space is the main area in which people come together. It's a real space for the community, and it has been since it was built back in 1878. John Ryland, who built the building, built it for the people of Stretford. He didn't want it to be the town hall and he didn't want it to be um, an exclusive space. And one of the very first events held here was a tea party, which had most of the workers who had worked on the building, their families, alongside some more, some of the dignitaries. And that's what he wanted, a space that everyone could come together. And that's what we really want it for as well. Stretford Public Hall also benefited from the Community Shares Booster Programme. This is a £3 million programme delivered by the Community Shares Unit and funded by Power to Change. They helped the Friends to prepare their share offer and provided £100,000 in equity match funding. Here's Alex Steedland from Power to Change. Since 2009, almost 120,000 people have invested over £100 million to support 350 community businesses throughout the UK. All businesses need risk capital to start, grow and become sustainable. And this risk capital is usually provided by the owners of the enterprise who have bought shares in the business. But this approach could conflict with the social mission of community businesses, as community businesses should be run for the purpose of benefiting the community, rather than in the interest of private investors who are looking to make a financial return. 
Community shares have a number of unique characteristics which overcome these conflicts and make them a valuable source of finance for community businesses. They can't be transferred between people, they have a fixed value and there's a limit on the amount of interest that can be paid. Community shareholders only have one vote, regardless of the size of their shareholding, which promotes democratic governance. And the majority of societies are subject to an asset lock, which prevents the society from being sold and the money from the sale being distributed to the shareholders. This removes the possibility of capital appreciation and the scope for investor speculation. Community shares provide a source of long-term, patient risk capital, which can help to attract other forms of finance, such as grants, donations and debt, giving the organisation a good chance of viability and sustainability. As a result, community shares are an ideal way for community businesses to raise funds and are often used to raise finance to purchase community assets, such as community pubs, green spaces and community centres like Stratford Public Hall. Anushka considers Power to Change's equity match vital in attracting investors. I think that was one of the key factors of why our community share offer went so well, because people felt that they were doubling up their money. So we worked out how much we felt we could feasibly raise from our local community, having benchmarked against other community share offers um, in similar projects and similar areas, and also the money that we needed to get the work done. For Dan, one of the most important factors was spreading the ownership as widely as possible. They didn't just want well-heeled investors bent on making a quick profit. We were really keen to keep the shares as accessible as possible by keeping the price at a level that most people could afford and giving them enough time to save up, giving them enough options to pay for them with. Minimum share was 100 quid. You could pay £25 a month to get up to 100 quid by the time the offer closed. We had a minimum target of 200,000, an optimum of 250, and a maximum of 300. We worked really hard towards building a really strong business case. We used the um, community share mark as well to make sure that we had faith in, in what we were saying would, would be right because we don't want to take people's money and, and then not be able to return it for those that want it returned. We then pulled together all of the information we needed for the community share paperwork so you needed to have a share offer and a business plan and then we launched the share so we, we got marketing in, people involved so again people locally we always have local people because they not only is it good for, for us because they understand the project but also it's that idea of you know using local income using local economy and boosting boosting people around us we had another a few other Big amounts of money come in, you know, Trafford Housing Trust, who've been very supportive from the start. You know, they invested in the share offer. Um, we have Manchester Lindy Hop, who, again, just came about through people who'd come into the building and kind of loved it. You know, they really want to <laughs> get on that dance floor. And, you know, they had some money that they weren't using and decided to invest it here rather than it, it sit where it was. And, and Unicorn Grocery, our nearest local cooperative, also invested a good chunk of money as well. So... You know, it's those sort of boosts that, you know, local businesses are also involved that sort of, again, builds that confidence in people happily putting their £100 or a few hundred pounds in. We then launched the share. We had an amazing start. Loads of money came in and then it just went really flat line and where we panicked for about two weeks, three weeks. 
and then towards the end of the share offer things just picked up and one of the highlights was the last night where it just went up and up and up and well over what we needed, well over our target. And we went up to 256,000 with the help of Power to Change and again couldn't quite believe that our local community had done this. Over 800 people had invested, so 800 people believed in our project. 85% of them were from M32, were from Stretford. So that was, that was special. I'm a long-term resident in this area. I've grown up here from my teen years and I've actually got four generations of family living in this area, all within a few minutes walk of the hall. Me and my husband, our children, my parents, my grandmother, we all became member investors because having lived in this area for a while, it's a fantastic area to live in terms of the local community, great access to the city and to green space, but in terms of local amenities actually in Stretford, there aren't as many as there could be. That was local resident and member investor Josephine Glass, one of over 800 people that invested. It was clear from many conversations we had with investor members that the cause was much more important than a financial return on their investment. For many, this was the first time they'd considered becoming a shareholder. Here's Andy Simkin again. To realise that there was a, a shareholding opportunity that was for the greater good was a, fant was a fantastic sort of moment of realisation. It was a very easy thing to do and uh, really a no-brainer. And it became a, an exciting thing in the community. People were talking about it and what are you going to do? Yeah. Hello, here for Pilates. We are, yeah. The evening Pilates class arrive and Andy's break is over. So what's next for the friends of Stretford Hall? Simon Borkin again. The community chef was really focused on how can we improve the ballroom to, to the point where we can get it used as much as possible to one, meet our community goal and make, you know, because we've always said that we want to be a multi-purpose space for the community, which, you know, the ballroom in its current state is, is not allowing us to do that but also generate sufficient income to keep trading. So we were looking at what's the minimum amount of work that we need to do to be able to kind of actually have a credible offer. And the main thing really was just increasing the capacity was a massive thing. Because of structural changes over time, we, we only had confidence that we could really only have about 150 people in at any one time, but it has the ability to have 400, well, it used to have actually 700 people in when they had the seating up on the mezzanine, but... The investment is about the structural strengthening to the floor, remodelling the fire escapes, improving the toilet facilities. All those things basically allow us to, with confidence, get the permissions we need to actually increase the capacity. And because by increasing the capacity, it opens up what we can use the ballroom for in terms of different events and just get more people in, which is sort of important, really. And getting more people in is vital for making this project sustainable for future generations. As well as operating as a community hall, this project needs to make money. There is real ambition for the ballroom to be used for concerts, weddings and other events, and these will play a major part in this community business generating essential income. Another way is renting space out to local artists and small businesses. So we can go through here and look at the art studio. I'll just see if anyone's in to give us access, because it's all locked off, as it's all privately. This space is a, is a large room of really great light. It was the vision of one of our board members, Lisa. She 
is an artist and was very passionate about finding an affordable space for local artists to come to. It's really simply divided up on the floor with masking tape um, and people pay per square metre. And we wanted it to be a space where they could not only do work, and some people are just doing that as a hobby, but also there's working artists who make their living here. Um, there's leather workers, there's uh, wedding dressmakers, painters, illustrators, all sorts of workers who get to have a bit of mess but work around other people. And the artist space has been a place that's really shown what can happen if you get lots of creative people together. They form their own art collective and that has led to lots of other activities being carried out. So we've had children's classes and we've had life drawing, um, we've had animation works for shops and all sorts of things going on. So underneath the artist studios we've got our co-working space called Loft House. We've got a lot of creative so graphic designers an illustrator who does everything on a children's book illustrator does everything on a computer um, and lots of other creative types the essential thing for keeping the building going is that the income brought in by loft house artists and um, the mp and various other tenants we've got dotted about is that it allows us to cover our basic overheads Without them, we wouldn't be able to keep the building going. We need to pay so many essential water, gas, business rates, those sorts of things that we've had to, over the years, cover, would have traditionally often been covered by grants. We, we don't want to rely on grants. The funding's not there, and we want to move forward and be a self-sustaining project. So from the very off, we made sure that we had tenants that we felt could get us to a place where we could just fund ourselves. So while leather workers, artists, sculptors beaver away in their studios, on the top floor is Kate Green MP, who uses the hall as her office. Yeah, well, it's a great space for us to be in. You know, it's a great location. It's a, an iconic building. It's also important to us, I think, in terms of the ethos of our MP's office, that we are making use of a community space in which to, you know, give some... You know, we pay rent into the community, we... Um, you know, we're visibly at the heart of the community, we're accessible. So it's really important to us to be in a community building. It says something about the kind of MP's office we want to run. Back downstairs in the hall, one of the most popular groups who use the space are beginning to gather. But as we do in every show, time to ask a community expert for their top tips. This episode, it's Charlotte Hollins from the Ford Hall Community Land Initiative. Ford Hall Farm has been in her family since the 1700s. When Charlotte's father, Arthur Hollins, died in 2005, their landlord told them they would be evicted unless they could raise £800,000 to buy the farm. Charlotte saw it as a challenge. Along with her brother Ben, community development manager Sophie Hopkins, and volunteers from across the country, she set up the Ford Hall Community Land Initiative, which allows members of the public to buy community shares in the farm at £50 each. It now has over 8,000 community landlords. Here are her tips. My first tip for community shares is to sell the vision. 
that is the vision of what you will create as a result of your community share scheme and that vision might be short term and it might have a longer term element to it so you could do an artist's impression of what a building or an area of land might look like you could do some very short videos with members of your community or volunteers to say how they would like to use that asset or the community project that you've got running in the future so you could share other examples of other pro similar projects of around the country and words are really powerful stories my second tip for community shares is about engaging people community shares are a great way for your community to be involved with your project but it's not the only way for them to be involved and sometimes you can encourage the sale of your community shares by offering more opportunities to people for your members to be involved whether it be volunteering whether it be dropping off some reams of paper or some pens for the office especially when community projects are in the very early days those small resources can make a big difference and sometimes that's a great way of continuing the engagement with your members to make them feel more involved your project or it may encourage people to give a little bit to see how it's all working to get to know about you a little bit more and when that trust is built up then they might go on to buy their community shares or even to buy more community shares. My third tip for community shares is to share the journey. This is really important both at the very beginning of your project but almost more important after that initial excitement of that share campaign. Your members and your to-be members of your community want to feel like they are part of your project, even if they can't be there every day. So that's sharing the successes, sharing your vision, sharing your ideas, consulting on different directions that you might take as you move forward, but also sharing the bad things, sharing the struggles, asking for advice. As many ways as possible as so you can communicate direct to your members, whether it be emails, Sometimes paper copies for newsletters, there's still a demand for that. It might be social media. It could be organising um, once a year events to invite everybody onto your property or asset or your project to share the last year's journey with them. Be as open as you possibly can be, not only to sharing what's going on, but also listening to your members and taking their ideas on board. We found at Ford Hall that our shareholders not only have given us a financial contribution through the purchase of their shares, but their ongoing support makes a huge difference to our organisation moving forward. That was Charlotte Hollins from Ford Hall Farm. If you want to learn more about her story, check out her book, The Fight for Ford Hall Farm. Available, as they always say, from all good bookshops. And if you're near Market Drayton, pop along for a visit. The website, fordhallfarm.com, has all the information you need. I suppose if this was a Hollywood film, it would end with a song. We won't disappoint you. One of the most popular weekly events at Stretford Public Hall is the choir. People come in at the beginning and especially in winter it's cold and they're putting the children to bed and the various age groups and they're all a bit, oh. And then when they're walking out, they're just like different people. Every week it's like, oh, so go out the came. And so I think it's really good for, for well-being and just it's just a good thing to do. And they put on shows now and they're getting better and better. You don't have to be a brilliant singer, you come, it's a community thing, Hannah's brilliant, you walk in and at the end of an hour you suddenly think, God we sound alright and it's, you know, it's just magic, it's pure magic and I think everybody enjoys it, well if they don't it's a bit strange but it's good, you know it's really good, it's good for Stratford, it's great, yeah, magic.
They sing in the ballroom. Not quite finished, but looking better than it has for many years. There's still work to be done at the hall, but my money's on it being there in another hundred years. The Cotton King would have been proud. Piece of, of advice for anyone I'd give for embarking on this is firstly, just have faith. Faith in your community, faith in your own abilities, and that you can learn things on the way and never to be afraid to ask people if when you don't understand something. I didn't know half of the language, things like I didn't know the difference between capital and revenue before I started this. I didn't know what a feasibility study was. We went in completely blind, but we believed we were doing the right thing and carried that with us. Also, always be open, open with the community and those people that are supporting you, your motives and why you want to do something. Don't listen to the naysayers. There's always people like that. They can come and try and help if they want or they can, you can just ignore them. It's not worth listening to negative feedback. You'll also get people saying, well, you should really be doing this. And the advice I always give there is, well, just tell them to do it. Give them the chance. And if they really think things should be done that way, let them go off and try for a bit. And you'll find either they'll go and do it brilliantly or they'll just disappear and never come back to, to saying the same thing. Uh, but listen to other people's ideas. Don't, don't be afraid to admit when you get things wrong because you will get things wrong and that's fine. And, and you can just start up and do things differently next time. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the experiences of those who save Stretford Hall. If you're thinking about doing something similar or in the middle of your community business adventure, get the latest news on events, grants and support on the Power to Change website. That's powertochange.org.uk. We'll be adding links and other useful information on the show notes for this episode. And you can also connect with us by following on Twitter at the CB Fix. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and your stories about community activism. Don't forget to subscribe to the Community Business Fix in your favourite podcast app and give us a share, like and review. Once you're subscribed, it will mean you won't miss our next episode where we'll be travelling to London to find out about community energy projects at Repairing London. You've been listening to a Fieldwork production commissioned by Power to Change. It was presented by Neil Roberts with research and production by Curtis James, sound and music by Simon James, writing and executive production by Chris Paling. The show wouldn't have been possible without the support of the Friends of Stretford Public Hall in Manchester.